And I guess we could um, call this doing highlights of that uh, conference. I don't know how much we can really cover because there's a lot, and trying to do that in an hour is probably just ridiculously <laughs> crazy. But leave it up to me to come up with something like that. <laughs> Anything that can help. <laughs> and uh, yeah, well, well, of course, uh, I think the guys were filling some of you in what was going on out there and how we uh, got there every day and from Pete. It's a pretty good little drive. Didn't seem very long, though, as we all right. would be able to talk. But anyway, uh, I guess for us, this could be called a debriefing because as I started looking at my notes, then all of a sudden it started becoming clearer again because after hearing that, that many messages all day long for four straight days, it's like it clouds up. And uh, then I started looking at this, and uh, then it uh, helped make sense again. So hopefully that'll do that for you guys. And if you can come up with some quotes and stuff that I missed or anything to fill in, go right ahead. But um, why don't we go ahead and start with prayer. Lord, we thank You for this evening, and uh, we praise You for who You are, what You do. Uh, it, it is all about Jesus Christ. And as we uh, talk about, we preach Christ tonight. Uh, that we can always have our focus on Him because uh, without that focus, uh, everything else is blurry. Nothing else will really uh, make sense uh, unless we see Christ in everything. Uh, help us with Your Holy Spirit leading us in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, the uh, we'll start right off. I'll go through them right in order the way they did it. And I've got some pictures here, just just a photo of each one. I had them all set down in order and everything while I go, and I came to the very last one as I put Stephen Lawson there, and I my cord hit something and took them all out. <laughs> it, that was about 20 minutes worth of work right here, getting them all together. And so anyway, I was hoping I could go on the site and they'd all be right there and yeah. show the titles and everything, and they just whooped all that thing out of there, and they don't have the uh, the new stuff up yet. Uh, so I didn't get any help there, so as always, I have to work hard. <laughs> but anyway, I'm going to fly through this probably is what it's going to have to amount to. And we'll, we'll touch on what their basic passage was about and kind of their uh, outline. Uh, it, the whole thing was called We Preach Christ. And I don't know if you heard the intro, but this is what, what we did last week when we were out at the conference, uh, the Shepherds Conference. And uh, being there in person uh, is something special when you get to share with other other men there. But anyway, um, it started off uh, with MacArthur and the in uh, the General Assembly, and uh, his was we preach Christ. We don't preach ourselves. Um, we know that um, Jesus speaks of Himself, and uh, He speaks of His own glory. Hey, how are we doing? And, and we are doing uh, we're doing what we did last week the conference and I'm just doing a, a, a brief overview so we're just okay. now starting I'm on the very first line here right. uh, but first Corinthians 1 says that uh, Paul said he preached Christ crucified that's that's what he knew that's uh, what everything was about as, as he preached um, anyway he based it out of second Corinthians chapter 4 verse 5 and uh, a lot of us would remember that second Corinthians. Uh, passage as we spent uh, many weeks on that section. And of course, if you're trying to remember what that is, I think the highlight of that is uh, that He's the one who's shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. Mm-hmm. Um, and the, of course, when you think of Christ, uh, you definitely think of, of that thought. But anyway, it led up to that chapter 4 in that his outline started off with um, the convictions that keep us faithful. That was really kind of what this whole thing was about. Um, MacArthur's passage in in 2 Corinthians 3 and then in chapter 4. And so it was the new covenant, which is chapter 3. That's one thing that keeps us faithful, isn't it? The very new covenant. You look back in chapter 3, you see the new covenant versus the old covenant. The old covenant is the ministry of death. The new covenant is the uh, ministry of life. And old covenant fades as the new covenant is is the glory uh, of God and all the uh, different semblances there of that. So that was one thing. If I had a board, I'd pop that up on the outline, but I think... uh, um, it would take time as I write this out. So, anyway, the second one 
of, of, of that he did in that point as we're talking about new covenant. That keeps us faithful, doesn't it? The second is ministry was uh, a mercy. If you look in chapter 4 of 2 Corinthians verse 1, it says, Therefore, since we have this ministry as we receive mercy, we do not lose heart. So that was the second part of that outline. Uh, we do everything by mercy. It's pure mercy, isn't it? God showed mercy to uh, Paul all the way through and, and uh, all the uh, people that have it. You don't earn that, do you? It's uh, simply what he has done for us. The third point of that outline was that um, uh, it's a pure heart. Paul uh, was accused by the Corinthians and absolutely there was nothing there to accuse him of and he had a pure heart. He had no hidden light. There was nothing that he was ashamed of as he says in chapter 4 verse 2, but we have renounced the things hidden because of shame. Um, he has he has no shame. He has a pure heart. Uh, Anyway, not walking in craftness or adulterating the Word of God. Uh, so, and, and knew his conscience was right. Uh, he was transparent. He was open. Uh, the fourth point um, that uh, he brought out was accurately preaching the Word of God. That will keep you faithful, won't it? Just preaching the Word of God, doing it accurately. And in verse 2, as we see there, not in craftiness or adulterating the Word of God, uh, preach, but preaching it for what it is, um, not adulterating it. The fifth one is that the results don't depend on us. They, don't de- they didn't depend on Paul. And he says in verse 3, and even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. Sometimes it doesn't look like anything is happening. Or people look at it and there's nothing there. But yet, uh, we see here that uh, the, the natural realm, the ones who are perishing um, by, by nature, um, they are going to obey Satan and they're blinded by nature. They're blinded by Satan, aren't they? Um, a sixth one is that um, Paul was... Um, uh, uh, certain about his own insignificance. And uh, that's that verse 7 where it talks about earthen vessels or jars of clay. He knew all he was was a jar of clay holding the precious Word of God. And uh, I think that, that that's the, the power of God to take instruments like us who are really not significant at all and and He uh, still uses. And uh, So anyway, that's, that's a contrast there of God's glory versus the fragile uh, containers, the feeble clay pots. And then uh, there's the benefit of suffering in verses 8 and 9. We are afflicted in every way, not crushed, perplexed, but not despairing, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed. So uh, he remained faithful, Paul did, because uh, he had the conviction of that there was the suffering was what God had worked through that too. And uh, then in verse 13 through 15 there, he's talking about speaking. We believe, therefore we speak. Uh, he's talking about their courage. Uh, we uh, are faithful to God's Word because of the courage that He's given us. And then in verses 16 through 18, um, it speaks about future glory. That is why we would keep faithful. Therefore, verse 16, we do not lose heart, but though our outer man is decaying, yet our inner man is being renewed day by day. For momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal way to glory far beyond all comparison. Why we look not the things which are seen, but the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. So don't be looking at just the things of the world here, but look beyond that and uh, the glory that is there. And that's why Paul could be faithful uh, in the ministry. So that was the first message that we heard. <laughs> A lot of points just to that right there. Uh, of course, that uh, that would take about an hour, wouldn't it, to, to do that. The second uh, assembly then was... Um, now I have to count now. 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, and 11. That should be... Nope, that's not Phil. There's Phil. That's Phil Johnson. And, uh, of course, he does what he does. Uh, he, um, he preaches a lot on the aspect of where the church is at today. 
as far as the radical cultural contextualization uh, that the church is doing. And uh, so as he looked at Galatians 1, uh, starting at verse 6, of course he set up the introduction and uh, of course the circumcision and uh, all the legalism of the Galatians. Um, when, when we look at Galatians 1.6, it says, I'm amazed that you're so quickly deserting Him who called you by the grace of Christ for a different gospel, which is really not another, only there are some who are disturbing you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to what we have preached to you, he is to be accursed. As we have said before, so I say again now, if any man is preaching to you a gospel contrary to what you received, he is to be accursed. Um, Phil Johnson is a watchdog uh, for the church. And he's, he's you know, saying, be careful, watch out. There are things that are coming in. And um, for one thing, as we look at verse 6, there were people itching for something new. And that's the way it's always been. They're still looking for something new rather than the old-fashioned gospel, the, the truth that's here. Uh, it's easy to be corrupted from the simplicity of Christ or the, the very unity of Christ you know, in that sense. Um, um, and he mentioned some things. Remember this? This present darkness, yeah. left, uh, left behind, the prayer of Jabez, uh, the 40 days of purpose, um, let's see, oh, the emergent church, and, um, oh boy, some of these notes are scratchy as can be. Uh, but some of those things that were fads then, yeah. and now you look back at them and people make fun of them. You know, anyway, they're here, they, they go, and they, they move away. And, um, of course, that's, that's the way that uh, those things go. But people are swayed by the novelty of it. So people itch for this something new, some kind of a relevant message, something that'll work for us today. That's old stuff there. We need some, we don't need the Bible. We need something we need something else. And of course in, in this section here it says, if they don't want the scripture here, let them be damned. Let them be accursed. That sounds heavy, doesn't it? That's the way that Paul wrote here. Uh, a gospel contrary to what you received, he is to be accursed. So from social justice to, to cultural relevance, that's what the church is doing today. And of course, uh, Johnson warned us on that as we are really warned throughout Scripture. There it is in Galatians. We see what was happening. That was the first point. Uh, it's dealing with three desires or three lusts that people have of the way that they think church ought to operate. The second one that he used was based out of 7 through 9. We read that section. It's the urge to modify the Gospel. Just change it a little bit. Um, self-deceiving can can happen in their thinking. To be a little more congenial, you know, to make it more comfortable for people and and less convicting. Uh, new perspective came out back um, 15 years ago, 10 years ago. If you ever heard of the new perspectives, and it goes against justification by faith, and it came through reformed um, preachers and and writers, and some of them very respected. Um, but it was a slight change there in in God's order of uh, such. Works are to be there, but they're not to be before justification. Right. It's justification that, as a result, the works. And so he uh, he pressed on that. Um, and then um, in verse ten um, says, "For am I now seeking the favor of men or of God?" Or am I striving to please men? If I were trying to please men, I would not be a bondservant of Christ. So some preachers, some churches want to be able to be man-pleasers. And Paul was saying, uh, no, it's not for the applause of men. People crave for the applause of men. That was the dominant motive, really, of the, um, the ones who were the false teachers that were coming there. Uh, so anyway, that is um, the idea of what Phil Johnson put forth. doesn't sound too much different than what he usually does. And he does quite a few messages I've heard out of Galatians. So anyway, that's that one. There's a guy by the name of Michael Reeves. Real and quick, I hope this... Um, go right ahead. Something I remember Phil Johnson saying about the book of Galatians. 
was that uh, it's the one book, one epistle or whatever that Paul wrote where he never congratulates or celebrates that church. Exactly. On anything. Exactly. He, even, he even like gave a couple of uh, compliments to the Corinthian church, hmm. is what Phil Johnson said, but he never does that with the Galatians because, yeah, because, because of how serious this Judaizing and the, the putting the law over the gospel is. Very that's good. Yeah. That, that's how he started that message uh -huh. out there. Yeah. Oh. And yeah, of, of all things, the, those, the, the, the Corinthians, I mean, they had almost everything Oh, wrong. yeah, they were. <laughs> but he even yeah, saluted they, them. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, you've talked about the Lord's table. Yeah, the Lord's table. Thought this was worse, which I thought was interesting when I was listening to him. How he said, like Paul says that uh, the Judaizers were like preaching another gospel, and it just made me think of how more serious uh, distortions have been uh, today. And I was like, if if then if these people back then were to be accursed, and the people today like worse, you know, they're far. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it, I was like. With the you know with the atonement like that's way worse than than just this works you know part of salvation that's going on. Because it seems like like in this when the time of this is being written like they had the apostle Paul they had the great apostles you know mm -hmm. but in today it's just like a memory like a almost like a fantasy world for non-believers. So there's no reason to put any stock in it for them. Okay, um, Michael Reeves, um, a lot of people probably aren't too familiar with, and I'm, uh, I really wasn't either, yeah. uh, but I thought he did an excellent job. He did John 1, 1 through 3, and that's a most familiar passage. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And, um, of course, if you, you know, that's verse 1, uh, but it's really revolutionary. Uh, as he uh, set forth, and he said, uh, this John 1, 1 through 3 sets Jesus apart, makes him so unique. And of course, it introduces the rest of the book of John, which is really uh, the deity of Christ. But uh, I thought it was fascinating because he, uh, he said, John there is, uh, in a way, exegeting Genesis 1. Yeah. Because you have the creation in Genesis 1. And in John 1, you have a new creation. Of course, the new creation is is what's going to come out as, as a result of what Christ is doing. You have the Spirit in Genesis 1, and he's, as He announces the Word, and the Word goes out, and you have light and um, life. And, uh, so, and it goes out all over the world there. So the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and that's a unique situation. Um, and what he did is that he said that John, you know, usually we think of, of the Greek way of introducing who Christ is being the word, the logos, and that's the uh, Greek word. But also he said there's a Hebrew thought there that what the word meant, and he's speaking about the word of God. And you'll know in John 1.14, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. The, and then, of course, uh, as a result of that, there, there's the glory, right? But He dwelt among us. And you think of the Word, and you go back to the Old Testament, and you think about uh, the tabernacle. You think about the glory filling the, the tabernacle. His, his glory uh, was like no other. And you think of the Holy of Holies in the tabernacle. And in the Holy of Holies, enthroned... Uh, in where the the cherubim, of course, is, is God, but in, there's an ark, and inside that ark are the two tablets, or the law, or the word of God, right in the presence of God. In the beginning was the word; the word was with God; the word was God. Oh, yeah. And so you have here in this tabernacle. And I thought what uh, Reeves expressed there was uh, really helpful. We, th we think of the glory that's there in the tabernacle. In Hebrews 1, verse 3, it speaks of Christ being the radiance of God's glory. He is the very glory of Him. So, uh, and, and so He has one being with, Father, with, uh, with the Father Himself. Um, Christ shows who God is, His righteousness, 
and His mercy. And so uh, that's supreme and delectable when we think of that as He worded it there. Uh, He's not only the eternal Word as we just looked at there, but He's also the Son of God. He's the Word of God. He's the Son of God. And that's a real relationship with, with that the Godhead has, isn't it? And there's the Father, there's the Son. Uh, and so, Christianity, we know, has a God of love because it first starts with the love the triune God has um, with um, each person. And the Father had love for the Son. Of course, the Son had love for the Father, but uh, to be a father means love. You know, this is the absolute love. To beget a son, right? To beget a son is is love. And of course, he struck against then against um, the people who do not believe in eternal sonship. And he came up with Arius in the early days of the church, and he denied that there was such a time when the son was not. You know, and he saw God as not wanting to do uh, any kind of work of creation, doing the dirty work. Uh, to God, um, this God—I mean, to him, to Arius, this God is not eternally a father, and there's no eternal son. Of course, we know in in the church, it's always been taught the eternal sonship. Scripturally, we see that we. Think of the confessions that had to come along because of these false teachers that came along. Um, the the son's true motivation, I think this is what struck out at me, is to share with us what he enjoyed with his father. And so we think of John 17. He came here now, you know, to 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 die, but to not only to die, but to also give life to us, and not only give life to us, but to share the very life that He had with the Father. John 17, His great prayer, is that He wants us to experience the same that He has. And of course, we have this, the Father loves us like He loves the Son. So that's a, quite a relationship. The fellowship that He has with the Father, He wants us to have. And He prays for that. And when Jesus prays, He prays exactly what will happen. That's uh, encouraging, isn't it? So anyway, the the Son shares with us His Sonship. Of course, we will be co-heirs. That's why He delights whenever we have prayer. And then, of course... He, the Son enables us to have a hearty relationship with the Father because He intercedes for us and He makes our prayers perfect by the time they get to Him, if I can say that in that way. So anyway, that uh, that's Michael Reeves, uh, his thought on John 1. A lot of them came out of John. There was another one by Ligon Duncan. And uh, let's see, I have him right around here. Nope, that's Al. There's Ligon Duncan. And a lot of us are familiar with him. He's been around a long time. He's at all the conferences. <laughs> He's at every conference. And uh, he, he did John 6, which is the bread of life. And uh, I'll briefly touch on this, but um, his outline is the, the bread that perishes contrasts to the bread of eternal life. The bread that that perishes, and uh, of course that is the the physical bread. Uh, the second is that there is an absolute necessity of faith in this bread, the true bread of life. And the third is the glory of Jesus as the bread of life. Uh, going back to that bread that perishes, um, they were looking for earthly things. He did the miracle the day before, and then he uh, he goes away. And of course, um, we know the miracle that happened that. That evening, that night, the storm and everything. He's walking on the water and then he's on the other side and then the, the crowd shows up. And they want to know, how did you beat us here? Remember that? Yeah. And he said, oh, I walked. Yeah. <laughs> uh, anyway, the presence of crowds, he said, doesn't mean good uh, is happening. There come the crowds. But they didn't get it. you know. And so anyway, he you know, He's going to teach them about what the true bread really is, what people really need. And um, anyway, um, 
you have a, a part where there's the, the coming uh, to Jesus, and, uh, believing in Jesus, that's a thing. Uh, let's trust, believe in Jesus. Um, you will die. You'll die by a starving man with without food. And of course, Christ is our food. He is sufficient. He is everything. And then the third point that he made was uh, who Christ is. And of course, he is the bread of life. He is that glory. You, John 4, you will never thirst. Uh, he will give us satisfaction. We will never be hungry without it. We Christ is our very essence, right? We, we need him. Uh, the thing is, is that the root of every sin, he said this, I thought this was good, the root of every sin is whenever we're looking for some kind of satisfaction and it's not coming through Christ, and that's sin. The moment we take our eyes off Christ and try to satisfy ourselves without Him, um, then that is the root of it all. And of course, you can look back in Genesis 1 and God was more or less saying, it's either me or it's the fruit, that forbidden fruit. Well, what did Adam do? He tried to satisfy himself and, and Eve by going outside of what God had already said. And so, anyway, that's, that, that's sin, isn't it? That's where sin started. Uh, it's seeking for something outside of God, not of God. Well, see, Restless heart. Satan was a salesman. Like he, was, he was modern culture's uh, advertiser. Mm. You know, because... All he did was just say, uh, you know, there's more, right? There's more to this. There you, we go. You can, you can have more mm. than what you already have. There's something better. Bingo. And yeah. isn't that what it's saying? There's got to there's gotta be... Christ is all we need. That's like that itch for something new. There we go back to that same thought. Yeah. <laughs> Very good. Yeah. Very good. Yeah. Good. Like John good. Piper. <laughs> Piper's message. Oh, did he have something you just know, just like that? Satisfaction. There you go. Oh, that's the, oh yeah, that's the heart of his message. Exactly. Uh, it's, it's Christ. He's sufficient. He's all we need. He's everything we need. John six thirty seven says, "All that the Father gives me will come to me, and the one who comes to me I will certainly not cast out." And then in verse thirty nine. This is the will of Him who sent me, that of all that He has given me, I lose nothing, but raise it up on the last day. Theirs are the elect. They will come to Him. The ones who come to Him are the ones that the Father had already chosen before the foundation of the world. They will come to Christ when that happens. So it's a great balance there. Uh, as he, anyway, it's about who He is there. Uh, he's the one true sacrifice and... Uh, his death gives us life. Uh, the next one is uh, Mark Jones. Another guy we're not too familiar with, but he did a, a real good message uh, dealing with the relationship between the Father and the Son. And of course, we, we spoke about that earlier. He used Isaiah 50. I'm going to turn there just for a moment. How are we doing on time? All right. Yeah, you don't see what else I have in here. <laughs> I'm trying to cover how many hours? <laughs> the 30, uh, 30 hours in, in one hour? <laughs> what a ridiculous thing to do, Dennis. Um, Isaiah 50, verse 4 and 5. And of course, this is about the suffering servant. In verse 4 and 5, The Lord God has given me the tongue of disciples that I may know how to sustain the weary one with a word. He awakens me morning by morning. He awakens my ear to listen as a disciple. The Lord God has opened my ear and I was not disobedient, nor did I turn back. And so this is dealing with the relationship between the Father and Son. This is the Messiah here. This is the, uh, the servant. The teachings He spoke came from the Father. All came from Him. So the Father gave the Son the, the teachings. Uh, Deuteronomy 18, God tells Moses, I will put My words in His mouth. Speaking of the Messiah, there's one greater coming than, than, than Moses, but Moses was like Him as being a prophet. Um, isn't that something? 
like in James 3.8, talks about taming the tongue, and we can't do it, but his tongue was absolutely perfectly tame. Never said anything wrong, in error, um, everything that he said. And of course he used the, the thought of, remember at, at the cross, John, or, or, or how about, behold your mother, you take care of her. Just a little saying, I thirst as he said on the cross. Just those things. Everything he said was perfect and timed right uh, always. Uh, so that's one thing, um, Isaiah 54 and 5. That's the relationship. How about the relationship between the Father and Son in obedience? Look at verse 6. I gave my back to those who strike me and my cheeks to those who pluck out the beard. I did not cover my face from humiliation and spitting. There it is. There is ultimate obedience, isn't it? Um, and of course, the, this obedience here—he um, he had the obedience to hunger as he was sent out into the wilderness. You know, forty days and forty nights. Uh, the Holy Spirit led him in to all those things that uh, you can imagine—temptation, and it could have even led to discouragement and, and such. Um, but anyway, it drove him out to the very companionship of, of eventually the devil, as we see in Luke 4 and the, the temptation that happened there. He, he was a homeless man in, in a lot of senses in his obedience. Um, betrayal that he took on. Obedience led him to Gethsemane, the Garden of Gethsemane where he um, sweat drops of blood. You um, think of... Uh, Remember when he said, remove this cup? You know, if he didn't, um, I think it, it was stated, um, yeah, by Hugh Martin. He quoted Hugh Martin. He said, we would question his sinlessness if he would not have said, remove this cup. Because he is absolutely a human. 100% man, but he's 100% God. And we have to realize that he felt this in every nth degree. He, he knew his father's wrath and what that was to bring as he would take on, uh, as he took on this human nature and, and of course, the sin that went with us, uh, with this. Uh, all this led to the cross. This is eternal subordination uh, in, in the sense that Jesus, um, in this sense, being a, uh, a human, has two wills. I said, well, that sounds kind of funny. You ever heard of that? Jesus has two wills? Well, he has a human will. And that sometimes can bring one to the very brink of despair, <laughs> having the human will. But it wasn't just one will. Um, as, of course, we know he obeyed and uh, Father, but he was, he was in a deity and he was yet... Man, so there was the statements that he had make take this cup from me, but yet there is the deity of Christ, where that deity has not left him. Um, so anyway, that's um, Jesus had a true human will. Um, uh, his third one was found in Isaiah fifty-seven through eight, and this is his dependence on the Father, utter dependence. For the law, Lord God helps me, therefore I am not disgraced, therefore I have set my face like flint, and I know that I will not be ashamed. He who vindicates me is near, who will contend with me? Let us stand up to each other. Who has a case against me? Let him draw near to me. Of course, the Lord helps me. What's vindicate? Okay, who vindicates? Okay. Attack, or is he... Justify. Uh, so he's talking about God. He's talking about God, right? Right. God yeah. mm -hmm. After he, all the people that were against him, of course, mm -hmm. his nation, the religious people, all the ones that were okay. uh, uh, against him. But he knows he'll be exalted. Of course, that's what he prayed in John 17. He must go to the cross first. Who's going to stand against me? You think of Romans. Chapter 8, right? You know, who's going to stand against us because of Christ our Savior? So we have to have that same kind of thought. If we really trust in Christ, we can see how He stood against the world and stood in obedience to the, to the Father. And of course, that was a, a 
apart. He, he talked about the application there. Uh, he even said, God gives us more than we can handle. How many times have you heard the other one? Mm-hmm. More than we can handle. He said, that sounds kind of strange. Um, we cry out, Abba, Father. Sometimes we get to a point, and he said, uh, more than we can handle, otherwise we wouldn't need God. He gets us to a point where we absolutely need God. Totally dependent upon Him. So in that sense, yeah, there are times when we can't handle it, but with Him we can. So I thought that was a, a good point. We have to live by faith, don't we? Even when it doesn't seem like we can. Um, anyway. Um, oh, he, he finished with Christ's obituary. I have not been rebellious. The Father's uh, reputation was on the line as Christ did His work and He vindicated the servant. Yeah. And that's our joy. This is our glory. For what happens to Him, then this is in turn then brought to us, isn't it? Uh, there was another session by Ian Murray. Ian Murray writes biographies. He is from he is Banner of Truth. <laughs> uh, probably have seen him, heard him. His accent's pretty heavy, as he's very British. And sometimes he's hard to understand. <laughs> Gotta listen really careful. Um, but he has written some brilliant biographies and uh, of course we thank the Lord for his work at uh, Banner of Truth. Um He's talked about the one of the most important dreams you'll ever imagine. It's written in a book. It's called Pilgrim's Progress. <laughs> it's a dream. Remember that? It's a dream. Um, there were four shepherds, and they met at uh, Delectable Mountain. This was the shepherds' conference. <laughs> the shepherds came together. Yeah, I like how they yeah. did that. Yeah, good. There was one shepherd's conference in, you know, in Pilgrim's Progress. That's right. <laughs> That's good. He got a good response off that one. Anyway, his message was really about the Puritans and the preaching of Christ. And, of course, he talked about the English Puritans and the persecution and everything they went through. And, of course, you can think of the 1600s and how the um, preachers were cast out. And uh, they were condemned, you know, because they were, they were Independents, they were Presbyterians, they were Baptists, and of course John Bunyan was one of those, one of many, who were uh, put out of the church, but they kept preaching. And so there, there he brings forth these four uh, points, and one of them is knowledge, um, knowledge of Scripture, knowledge of our own sin knowledge of Christ, to make Christ known, and experience, uh, then would also um, be a second point. You know, he talked about knowledge, he talked about experience, experiencing Christ. Yeah, these are, these are the four names of the shepherds that met at the Delectable Mountain. Yeah, do you remember that one? Were you, were you there when you guys had met yeah, when you did Pilgrim's Progress? Yeah, I was there when we went over it, of course, I don't remember the name of the shepherds. Yeah, we... Um, don't blame you. <laughs> but yeah, knowledge, experience. Mm-hmm. Don't ask me what the next Watchful. Yeah. Right? Um, watch out for error. Take heed for yourself. Uh, doctrine of justification of faith is what he put forth. Um, anyway, um, and he even, he even mentioned that. Um, Yeah, there, of course, there's only one righteousness. There's one view that says the atonement was universal redemption. That means everybody gets saved. There's a second view that Christ redeemed the ones He chose. That's what I think we'd favor. Uh, he actually saved who was chosen. That's called definite atonement. And then there's a third one there. Christ did something to help but in the end, it's going to be up to you to make that choice in, in your faith. Um, we believe that Christ actually saved a definite people, and He put that forth. Um, anyway, um, He even said, beware of flattery. He says, no clapping. 
whenever he was done. And guess what people did after he walked off? The... Anyway. Uh, Paul Washer, boy, he had a special one. I know the guys there, I think, would probably uh, say he might have been maybe their their favorite one, but oh, it, yeah. it's really hard to choose from. Oh, yeah, uh, okay. Washer is very, uh, how can you say, he... No, he, he hits it right on the head. He's yeah. very passionate yeah. about um, what Christianity really is and and uh, what's what's always going on in the church. So he talked about persecution. He used Acts five twenty seven through forty two. Um, he talked about how they were persecuted and the cause of the persecution, and then what is not the cause of persecution and then how to respond to uh, persecution. When he talked about how they were persecuting, of course, Paul, the 40 lashes and such, in uh, Acts 5.40, we uh, see the, the beating and uh, the shaming. But he says, um, when, when you make a stance for Christ, there will be persecution and you could suffer shame as an enemy of God. Because in the church today, and you remember Jesus warned about in, the, in their synagogues by religious people, like the, the Pharisees to Jesus and to the apostles, actually got persecution from inside the church even harder sometimes than it was on the outside. And so you could suffer shame in the day that we live in here as an enemy of God. You could be treated as an enemy of God right here today because the, the, the visible church that expands out can say, oh, we accept Jesus. We, we trust in Jesus. But other religions are okay too. The Muslims are fine. The Buddhists are fine. Right? Yeah. And so we could be suffering as outcasts because we believe in only one way. And uh, boy, when he hit on that, it's like saying, yeah, I could see how that could happen. How would it be like to be made ashamed, to be made fun of, or to be thrown into jail because we trust in Scripture and that's an old way to maybe people... Do what the apostles did and celebrate. Yeah. <laughs> right, that's what they... Of course, in that passage, they did. He did Acts 5, 27 through 42. And I wish I could go through all of these sections, but yeah, good to write those down because you can you can hit on that. And this is really, um, I, th I think, right up to date, right where we're at. And that was right in the very early days of the church. Uh, while he was on that first point, he says, we can be shamed not only as an enemy of God. How, how would you like to be treated as an enemy of God, which He's the God you love? Uh, how about... Shamed as an enemy of the state. Well, of course, we can definitely see that happening. Um, Christianity has never advanced the government, though, by protesting the government. You, know, you will not see that scripturally. You will not see that in, in past. Well, not, not to go down rabbit tracks. I know you've got a lot to cover, but it reminds me of what's going on with, um, say, the florists or the, the cake decorators. Oh who don't want to um, provide services right. for a homosexual marriage. Yeah. But I've also thought that, not to turn this all on me, but I have thought about that in my position as an attorney. I thought if I get into um, guardian ad litem work or adoption, when are they going to come to me and say this same-sex couple wants to right. adopt this child? Mm -hmm. And if I say I can't do that, I, I could see some repercussion from that. Mm -hmm. That's a real good point, Audrey. That and is excellent. I, I'm not there yet. That right. hasn't happened, and I don't know that it would even if I was actively in that area, but right. I could see where it quite possibly could. Good example. Well, um, That's the kind of thing that we're In a situation like that, wouldn't you lean on your church? In moments like that, wouldn't oh, you head well, back? Well, lean on the church a lot. I yeah. anyway. <laughs> well, you, like, you know, but still, I mean, that's kind of what the body of Christ is for, isn't it? So that when a brother or sister is going through that stuff, I mean, it's obviously because, you know, God has presented this 
you know, he's putting you through the fire, but you're not going to get burned. I mean, yeah, maybe, you know, fleshly, you know, you may lose your job or something, but then you weren't meant to be there. You yeah. didn't like, move on and do something else. Um, you know, yeah. Al, Al Mohler, while, while Paul, Paul Washer doesn't hit that aspect of when it, you know, when uh, civil disobedience is uh, acceptable in the sight of God, he didn't go over that, but Al Mohler went over that. Mm -hmm. So he kind of, there was a dualism going on, and Al Mohler uh, the next day hit on that. They complemented each other yeah, all the way through did. this. And when you're speaking about Christ, and they didn't get together and uh -uh. you know, let's do this together, right. you know. And this, but when you're speaking about Christ and people are like-minded in the Word of God, what they're going to say is very much complementary of yeah, the other correct. one. So when you have them back to back, it just kind of adds more of the the depth to it. it only, yeah, good it only point. Proves that the Bible is not not at all. In conflict with itself. Mm -hmm. yeah, there's one author. Right. Holy Spirit. <laughs> you guys had 12 speakers, right? What uh, was it like? There um, were 15 yeah, messages. 15 wow. general sessions, and then there were seminars you could attend. Okay. 15. Yeah. So we did like, I think, 17. Wow. You guys went above. We that. missed one. <laughs> yeah. like oh, oh, we did. Okay, that'd be six. That makes it six. Yeah. We missed the guy that uh, works with R.C. Sproul. Yeah. Stephen Nichols, uh, and that was my fault because we had uh, ran into Corey, who um, Debbie knows Corey. We ran into him. Sure did. Boy, it was good to see him. Uh, he had gone to seminary out there back in the early 2000s, and uh, it was. Uh, it, What's it was, he doing now? He's he's preaching. He just got a pastorate in Indianapolis. Uh, he's preaching at church there. And he had been out in the L.A. area at a couple of churches for a while. Uh, and uh, so we had a lot to share there. And, of course, he, he was in the, kind of the early days of our church. Uh, and he's a guy that every time you see him, he always had a smile on his face. He still has that beautiful smile. Same Corey Rogers that I knew. He's grown in the Lord. And that was a special treasure. So I didn't go see Stephen Nichols. And I wanted the guys to meet him, and they just kind of hung around. And guess what they said about Steve Nichols? Two or three people that we know of, two people that we yeah. know of, set in on it, and they didn't understand what he said. He said he went yeah. on some kind of a rabbit trail, went went from one place to another, and after it was all over, they go, what? What did he just say? Yeah. But I don't know about that. That's what I heard. Well, That's just hearsay. Yeah. Watch it. I like Stephen Nichols. I'm not cutting him down. I just, uh, I'm going to go back and watch a lot of these. I'm going to finish, kind of go do this poll washer and then finish for the night. And tell you what I'll do. If you don't mind, we'll divide this up and, and we'll do the, the second half next week then. Okay. I was going to do a whole here. I really didn't think I'd get through it. But um, the poll washer was, whenever he said this, it really hit, just like what Audrey was saying, who knows how many different things we're all involved with something can come to us where now we have to make some kind of decision uh, what are we going to do if we're pre prepared beforehand at least we know what to say uh, but uh, you know the the state you know takes the place of God demanding obedience sometimes yeah. and when that happens then we have to obey God rather than men as it says in Acts uh, but yet at the same time we are to uh, obey and submit to the government too. But when it comes to those points, now it's really critical. Uh, then he said, uh, we'll be shamed as ignorant because the Gospel and the cross and blood... Oh, that's since the book of Acts, wasn't it? What, what did the Corinthians think of Paul's message? What did the Gentiles think? What did the Jews think? You know, we were thinking of stumbling blocks and such. Yeah. What's that? I said we know that most of the Jews didn't like it, the message. I mean, it seems like the uh, the message was for the Jews, but the Gentiles had a better grasp of it. <laughs> Once they got it, I feel like they, they got it. Well, the thing is, though, the Gentiles, like in Athens, for instance, in Acts 17, as he referred to that, they have all these other gods. And of course, there's only... One true, you know. The, then, of course, he goes off on the the unknown God that they had there. But let me tell you about this God that you don't know. But um, the, you can get attacked on the fact that you believe that 
It's because of the blood of Christ. Uh, that just offends people. The cross is offensive, isn't it? And um, the matter of fact, he said something like, "The world is utterly convinced of its mythology. Hmm. Utterly convinced of its its mythology." Uh, they might say, well, yeah, we believe there's a God, but He has not spoken. <laughs> we have the Word. He's not spoken. Uh, it doesn't make us look very intellectual when we speak about the incarnate God, you know, God becoming man, you know, the virgin birth, a resurrection. Think about all those things that are supernatural. Everything about Christ is supernatural. And what He did as a man, the miracles, and on and on and on. And it just sounds ludicrous to people. It's so it make us foolish. It's so intelligent to hear about aliens coming and seeding the planet. <laughs> <laughs> or, or, you know, coming around from Iraq. You know, right. <laughs> right. So more intelligent. Of course, um, Christian faith is... Uh, Intelligent. It takes a mind to understand it, but it takes the Spirit of God oh, to be man, able to understand foolish. that. <laughs> what the foolishness of preaching, as Paul said in First Corinthians one. Um, the idea that Paul Washer uh, started off with was uh, shame is the weapon and the the instrument that they will use, uh, that the world will use. To inflict hurt against uh, yeah. Jesus's followers, hmm. um, and that's why that's you know probably why Paul would write, uh, or the Spirit rather would write, "I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ." And Paul Washer is one who is not ashamed oh, of the gospel no. of Christ, <laughs> and uh, of course that 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 gives you courage when you see. There are people standing uh, for truth. And, and that's really what it is. Um, if, if you take away the Word of God and God has not spoken, then there's no truth. There's no truth. And there, there's no right. There's no wrong. Right? And that's what they want. They don't want any right. They don't want any wrong. Uh, and cru- uh, Oh, he said, Christians just ruin the party. Yeah. Sure do. You know, with what we believe, what we say, you can see that in the political realm, you can see it in anywhere. You know, people come in and all of a sudden it's just like they can't have any fun anymore if we're around, you know. So uh, we seem to be the outcasts sometimes. Um, anyway, um, um, we alone have the truth. But if we make that kind of statement, what are they going to think? Well, they're going to think we're arrogant. We're going to think we're arrogant and we're imbeciles at the same time, as he stated. Um, matter of fact, somebody said this. The most important thing is truth. And the worst thing is that when someone says they have it. Mm. Yeah. You get that? <laughs> truth is the most important thing. But when somebody says they have the truth, of course, Jesus not only said he had the truth, he said he is the truth. We have the truth of the Word of God. Um, yeah, he was saying that, that you'll have all these people that are trying to seek for truth and that want it, but they never want to like, find it. Because yeah. then when you find it, you have to talk about it. Right. People don't like <laughs> no, hearing it. When you find it, you have to submit to it. Oh, right. A person. Right. Yeah, and that is Jesus. Yeah. That's um, right. On that note, uh, you have people who seek for the truth because it's noble hmm. and so it is for the outward appearance of being I, of having nobility yeah. I'm, uh, I'm a truth seeker yeah. so, oh that sounds fancy yeah <laughs> <laughs> and gee go to college <laughs> to get that <laughs> <laughs> um, I think a statement that he made I thought was pretty good of course you think of John 3 18 men love darkness uh, if you preach Christ and the light that He has, uh, they'll hate it, you know, unless God leads them into that truth. You, you, and He says um, that you will be persecuted. Um, said um, sometimes we can be persecuted because we're filled with the Holy Spirit, 
and then that led to Galatians 5:17, and think then the fruit of the spirit, and you show a true love, a true joy, a true peace, and on and on. That uh, spirit fruit comes with uh, people can really get offended at that. Uh, what doesn't cause persecution? Or uh, it shouldn't be our own behavior um, that would be something that anybody would be offended at, and even even Christians, um, and or just religious familiarity, or shouldn't be because of just you know politics because we're persecuted, but it's always standing for for truth. And then, of course, the responses to that is uh, keep preaching the word. Mm-hmm. Keep rejoicing and keep preaching, keep teaching, keep believing it, living it out, and uh, seek for um, the glory that is there awaiting and the honor, eternal life, uh, the crown that is is to come. Uh, so, you know, we are enabled, we're empowered to, to keep doing that. Anyway, that's as far as I'm going to go. That's about halfway through, and if you guys wouldn't mind, uh, we'll um, we'll do one more session of this. If, would you guys like to do that? Yeah. It's, it's a little bit different than what we've done before, I know. We're not going verse by verse, which is really what I like to do, but it kind of gives you an idea of... Well, uh, they were. That's the point. Right. Every sermon yep. there was a verse by... Well, it was exegeting... Passage, and they went all over the Bible to back it up. Very good. That's and that's what it's about. That, just to give you a little brief idea, what what is to come? Of course, you talked about Alan Moeller and kind of ventured off on this compliment. But H. B. Charles, which you may not be familiar with, I really wasn't. Um, anyway, um, Miguel Nunez. And, oh, the one that, um, there's Tom Pennington, Conrad Mabewe. Very powerful. Is that a Romans 4 and 5? Revelation. Uh, Revelation 4 and 5. And, um, of course, H.B. Charles did High Above the Heavens, and uh, that was out of uh, Ephesians chapter 1, 15 through 23. But anyway, this um, I thought this kind of went along with what um, um, High Above the Heavens is, kind of uh, jumped off from there. But that Revelation 4 and 5, that's the lion and the lamb. And, and boy, by the time he got to the end of it, it was uh, you felt like you were there. He's talking about the ascension of Christ. And uh, just, just think what um, Christ is as far as the power of God being put on display through the person of Christ. And so, yeah, He uh, he uh, lifted us high above the heavens, I believe, <laughs> up into the heavens. We, uh, we had a peak of what the heavens were about there. But um, and Stephen Lawson grasped me very much. I have more notes on him. So I want to spend probably most of the time next week on that message on Jesus, the Good Shepherd. And we'll touch a little bit on the other guys. And uh, Mabiwi, boy, that's a good thought too. But at any rate, that kind of gives you an idea of um, the the preaching of the Word of God. And it just it's encouraging to see people who believe truth and are preaching it. And... Uh, it's helpful to all of us in, in knowing that, hey, listen, we're not some people out here all by ourselves. God has plenty of them all over the place, and many right here in Jeff City, but they're all over the world. These guys were not just from the United States. And they're preaching and teaching the same stuff. Preach it word by, verse by verse, word by word. They're expositors. And like I say, here it is, I'm doing this and not really getting into the real meat of the Word to, to prove these things, but uh, hopefully uh, if you want to get into it and uh, get these uh, messages, they'll be on um, on the Internet probably in the next few days. And if you can say, I don't have Internet, let me know and I'll run them off for you. I can get them on CDs, so if you'd like that. But there's another one going on this week uh, down in Florida our Ligonier fellows. And a lot of these same guys that were here, some of those like Lawson I think is down there and 
uh, they they have the same kind of speakers. They're almost always the, a lot of the same guys. Yeah, they uh, get they get Alistair Beck as well. They get yeah. We we didn't get to get Alistair Beck. <laughs> but see, you guys saw him earlier this year, so it kind of made up. Yep. Anyway, thank you guys for uh, doing something a little different there. It's a, it's a pleasure to share that because it helps me be able to know a little bit better what went on there. We <laughs> got barrage with. Uh, Good teaching, preaching. Father, we thank you for this evening. Thank you for your word. Thank you for um, giving us so much about Jesus Christ to think on. Jesus is in the Old Testament, in the New Testament. The whole Bible is about him. And Lord, help us be people to preach Christ and to live Christ, for the He is our life. In Jesus' name, amen.